Welcome to In Between. Right now I'm at India Gate. It's night and I'm kind of strolling around. It's a part of Lutian's Delhi, so a part of the city which is, has very wide open streets, a lot of greenery, the air feels better for some reason, and uh, lots of monuments which are lit in the night. And it's a good place to roam around at night with the bike or something because it's, uh, I know, it's not, not a lot of cars, not a lot of traffic, it's very free, you can see so wide, so it's quite nice actually. Yeah, India Gate is kind of the hallmark of Delhi in many ways. And I used to come here a lot to eat ice cream. And uh, even now there are so many ice cream stands, street food stands, people who sell jewelry, these little cars that make noises where kids can like roam around in. There's these light things which you can throw in the air. There's a lot of things happening. And uh, lots of music. It's a very happening place, but it's also a very long stretch which you can just walk. And there are some places which are busier with all these vendors and some places that are less busy. Very happening, but also there's like some some greenery around where you can sit. It's also much just the perfect place to be there because it's not hot yet, but also not so cold anymore. So it's very pleasant at night and. Uh, yeah, while we're like walking around eating ice cream, cotton candy and whatnot, and uh, I'm thinking a lot about how how on a, how a lot of my best memories in India actually were memories or moments when I was just kind of coping with life here. In the sense that today, like I studied the whole day as reading and writing, and uh, at the end of the day, I felt like oh, I have to get out and. Is this going anywhere? What am I doing? And all of this. And it, yeah, I, I remember that three years ago when I lived here, a lot of my best memories actually came out of this when I went somewhere. Let's just roam around, let's go somewhere. Because just as a strategy of coping with life, not planning something, or that in retrospect, if you always think, oh, these good memories, and we did this and that, but it just happened like this to, to just deal with life, basically. Then there's a small anecdote. So a while ago, I went to a restaurant with a friend and uh, we had a lot of food and we got whatever we were not able to eat, we packed it. And then I was on my way home in the rickshaw and I had that bag with the food with me. And at one point, there were like a couple of street kids coming, especially two kids were talking to me and asking for money, saying that they're hungry, this and that. And... Uh, a couple of other kids were like watching and for some reason I always get so intimidated and paralyzed and then I fall into that mood where I just say no, 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 no and don't look at them or whatever and I already feel so uncomfortable and that was happening again and uh, for some reason I didn't give them the food even though I had food with me which I did not necessarily need I didn't give it to them and it was so weird for me, for me that I didn't do that and I felt so bad about it I can't explain it, I don't know why I didn't do it. It's just kind of, maybe it's kind of a way of just getting too paralyzed or just saving or protecting yourself by, yeah, just saying no, 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 or I should just be able to handle these situations better, but I don't. And then I went back and I met a couple of friends and at some point I was just talking to a friend and then I started to cry and I was like, oh, why didn't I, didn't I give them the food? What's wrong with me? And this and that. And uh, he was a bit overwhelmed, but then he handled the situation. He was like, listen, I'm telling you what I'm doing and it's not so bad. And 
Then he told me how a couple of days ago he had some almonds in his bag and he went with his bike and there was a red light and there was a small guy, small kid selling uh, balloons, which came and asked him for money. He kept asking him. So eventually he took, he asked him like, do you want uh, almonds? Do you want badam? And then the little guy was like, badam? Like something I know, something nuts. And he's like, yes. And then he took it out and poured it into his little hands and uh, by that, while he was like trying to hold them and not let them fall, he, the guy kind of let go of his balloon, but so my friend held the balloon and then eventually the light turned to green and like the whole traffic, part of the traffic had to wait because of them. And then he said, see, you can do that as well. Just take almonds with you. And so you have something to give, which, which uh, the kids can immediately eat, but it's uh, some money. And uh, since then I'm always having badam with me and it really I don't know, at least it makes me feel better. I'm not sure if that's the right reason to do these things, but uh, yeah, I always have them and I already gave them to a couple of kids and it worked out pretty well or they liked it and in the end ate it. But for some reason, I find it hard to give it to adults. Maybe because it's such a paternalistic gesture to pour, I don't know, to pour food in, in someone's hands, Oliver Twist kind of a situation, I'm not sure. So for some reason I find it a lot more weird, but now always in the outer pocket of my backpack there is some some almonds ready to be given away, and it's uh, yeah it's interesting what these anecdotes can teach us. Then I have to talk a little bit about my research, and uh, one question which I am struggling a lot at the moment is kind of that I feel that transformation and in-between are actually very close together and I don't really know how to call them apart, how to tell them apart and how to say that what's included and what's not included. So for example, a lot of people keep like suggesting me people who are just switching jobs or who became from one person another kind of person or who, I don't know. For example, someone asked me, isn't your research about people who are feeling stuck you know, like stuck in their job or they want something new in another way. And someone else asked me, told me like, yeah, I can ask this friend for you if you want, but, you know, I don't know if she will fit because she's not confused. And I'm like, it's neither has to do with you have to be stuck or you have to be confused. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. But also it's just more like a mental, a physical, a linguistical, as well as a moral balancing act between different contexts an individual got deeply engaged with, which uh, usually plays out over a big part of that individual's life. And it means for me to understand how that balancing act came about in the first place and how and as well as on which levels it actually plays out. Similarly, something which has been talked about a lot, but uh, I see a lot of this education and in-between. So I talked to a lot of my friends also who told me very similar things like... Uh, how they came from small villages and started to study in big universities in the city and suddenly, yeah, they came there and they spoke no English and it was really, really difficult. Like one friend of mine told me, see, for example, I didn't know what the concept of a nation state is. I had no idea because in Hindi it's just desh, which means country, but it also means the soil, it can mean the house, it can be the fields surrounding the house, it can mean anything and how hard it was actually to start learning to speak English but also to grasp all of these concepts and to think in such new and different ways which just start to make 
to rip open a certain gap with the fam- with the family, with the village, with the places they come from. And uh, I also happened to talk to a professor and he said a very similar thing. There are all of these kids that come on full financial aid, but they come here with no English. They are already ostracized by the already English-speaking students there who kind of unconsciously police their boundaries or their borders, whatever. But uh, by the end of these four years, all the students will be fluent in English and they will ask questions about everything and maybe they will experience a real crisis of belonging. So there is a certain cost. This education comes at a cost, which I saw in a lot of narratives. And with him, I talked about how also COVID has made things very difficult on that front in the sense that there always used to be two separate spaces. So the space of questioning everything, which is the university and the space of uh, a compliance where you just follow what your pers- what your parents tell you. But uh, now with homeschooling and virtual schooling, suddenly these two places merge, which must be very difficult for a lot of kids. And to think in these two spaces, to maybe have parents watch you while you are taking classes all the time. So to maybe not feeling like you can speak very openly. So there's a lot of things going on. And that also made me realize that in the beginning, I thought that COVID has relatively little to do with my topic per se. And it would only be influencing the carrying out methodologically, but it would have nothing to do with yeah, with the content of my research. But by now, I think I was wrong because for many people, COVID seemed to have meant going back home or deciding what is home or which home to go to. And many people told me how they have only visited their native home which is mostly villages in other parts of India or maybe another country for a few weeks every year and how COVID has led many of them to spend months at their native place. More time than they have spent in the last couple of years together for some. For many that meant being confronted, if not locked up in an old context and in which it meant worlds clashing and realizing how much one has changed. So in that sense, I think COVID has more to do with my topic than uh, I thought. And uh, then I had a conversation with another friend who told me, who described in between as, okay, so it's about having your feet in two boats at the same time. And then she said, but in regard to my own life, what about the people whose aspirations have not been fulfilled, who end up being rooted in neither of the worlds? And uh, she speaks about herself and many other people I know who have been came from small places, have been very well educated and uh, became part of academia, but then didn't stay in academia, but became, for example, school teachers in small towns. So they're not able to fit in with their families anymore. So apart from love and affection, there's not much left to connect. They are also not really fitting in in these towns where they teach, but they also didn't stay in academia, kind of didn't stay in a world which transformed them. And it's... uh, yeah, she asked me, what about these people who ended up getting transformed by a new context but did not settle in either the old context nor this new context but are somehow in that sense in between with unfulfilled aspirations? And it's a very good question. So what about them? I, I don't really know how to consider them or huh, I haven't seen it that way yet. And of course, there's still this club of German women who married Indian men. And uh, I've been to their meetings, talking to a lot of them separately. And I do find it very interesting how their their life stories are amazing, their narratives, how 
they also experience things very differently. Some think they really have transformed, others say they don't. Most of them say it's so hard to tell that because, for example, I've lived in India three times longer than in Germany, but I don't feel Indian. But uh, am I still German in a way I am? But when I go there, so much has changed that I don't know certain things how to do them, but people expect me to know because I am from there after all, am I not? And it's like... Yeah, there is so much uh, questions about belonging which which are raised. And uh, there is one thing which I found really interesting to see with many of the people I've talked to is about, uh, which is about exposure, that for a lot of, so exposure is a word used often in India to say that people have gone abroad, so they have seen life in other places, they have an idea of how life can be different. And a lot of these German women, for example, they said that most of them, or a lot of foreigners that have Indianized or whatever, which I know in India, they say that most of my friends are either other expats or they are Indians who have gone abroad, so who had that exposure. And the same, for example, for the German lady seems to go the other way around when they go back to Germany. It's hard to connect with people who have been in their small town, in their small nest all their lives. Huh, the people they connect with are people who have also been outside. So sometimes I feel that m more important than some having someone who knows both worlds want from is having someone who has seen the same kind of exposure, who has seen similar things. And that I found quite interesting. And I keep, I keep seeing that everywhere. So yeah, there's still so many questions. So I'm meeting people, I'm hanging out, I'm talking, I'm taking interviews. So many things are happening when I keep doing what I'm doing. But a big question is, what connects all of these in-betweens apart from my pure will to see a connection between them? Like the stories, circumstances, biographies and situations are so different. But still I'm convinced that there must be some deeper connection between them, some patterns. But uh, yeah, what, what do I need to do to weave them together a bit better? And how do I compare them and how can I show that somehow they talk about the same thing? Then there's another small anecdote. So a couple of friends called me, it's holy soon. So they called me to come over and get some mehendi, some henna done uh, by the daughter of their maid. And eventually I was sitting on the sofa with her and she was uh, putting the, me the mehendi on and it was like, like properly done. So I have never done it that way with some proper lemon and sugar water afterwards on it and then some oil and you do everything possible so it stays long and and all of that so it was really nice but it was also quite thoughtful experience when i was sitting with her and she's 18 so she's exactly 10 years younger than me already has a kid and we were like talking i asked her like where did you learn all of this and she said well i work in a beauty parlor and the crazy thing for me was how she is 10 years younger than me, but already seems to have put a lot of her dreams to grave, basically, because she told me how she always wanted to open her, f her own parlor, but her husband is not a good one, and he doesn't want that, and now she has the kid, and it's not going to happen. And these kind of experiences, when you see that you're at such a different point in life, it's, it's just so unfair that I'm 10 years older, and how must it look through her eyes that I'm not even... I'm not married, I'm not even thinking about having kids and well she has already done all of this and put her dreams to grave. It's like I don't know, these are moments which still really make me think.
another similar thing that makes me think a lot is all my growing up I've always heard that word outsourcing and outsourcing work to India where it's cheaper and have people working from there and by now I feel like I'm I've met and I know and I love so many of these people who are actually doing this outsourcing work who have very strange work schedules to fit to cater to Europe or uh, America or whatever and yeah who are doing the this cheap work who are uh, promised a big salary which they then don't get and the comp company gets resold and sold again and they fully are conscious also about that this is outsourcing day this is cheap and I cannot complain because there will be someone else taking my job and that's how it works and like kind of this big phenomenon that never had faces for me and suddenly it's my friends doing this this is uh, also something which makes me think so much In Switzerland, it's oh, I always feel that whatever is manual labor or whatever you need a person for is very expensive. So, for example, getting clothes made, like especially for you, that's so expensive. I feel like it's hard to afford that. But in India, that's never the case. And there's a friend of mine who lets a lot of, who buys fabric and then he lets people stitch clothes for him. And he always asks me, do you, do you want to come with me and also do it and get something stitched and I definitely wanted to do that so we went to a market at one afternoon and there's like a lot of different fabrics and it's also interesting how the people who have some knowledge here they buy pure cotton because that's what you have to buy for the summer and also all these rolls of fabrics and looking at it and trying to imagine yourself in it and things that are way more colorful than what I'm used to and then what I would usually wear and uh, Yeah, this being, uh, again, you see how your taste changes, how a lot of things change. Yeah, then I picked three different, I don't know, three different fabrics and three different colors. And I had three dresses or designs in my mind. And, and I got two and a half and three meters of it. And we paid a very small price. And then we took it home and met his tailor who came to his house. Very young guy. Had chai with him sitting on the floor and I could exactly explain to him how I wanted stitched. Sent him pictures on WhatsApp, how it's supposed to look, what I want. He took my measurements and also he said like, oh yeah, this, this one is a really good fabric and this like this. And it's, it was such an interesting, very different experience. When again, I had yeah, are moments that I cherish that life works so differently there or work works so differently and... That was definitely very interesting and I'm very excited to see the end product coming out in a week. And then again, I spent quite some time in Old Delhi in the last couple of weeks because uh, it was my flatmate's birthday that was coming and we wanted to give him a special gift. We thought that it had to be something vintage and there's no better place to look for vintage stuff than in Old Delhi. So we looked at a lot of very old typewriters and we found a vintage store which had a lot of things like compass. I saw a lot of compasses, I saw a lot of um, these sand clocks, a lot of other very old instruments like telescopes and Aladdin kind of lamps and lots of stuff which, look, which looks really vintage but is actually newly produced by the people of the shop. And then we set eyes on a gramophone 
and we immediately fell in love with it and uh, when they like construct like they built it up in front of us and we were listening we could put the needle down and we were listening to an old hindi song coming out of that thing and we immediately we we knew that is it that has to be it and we bought it it was also not too expensive and then we transported it home through all daily streets in the heat in the metro and once we were home we tried to assemble it again which then turned out to be a lot more difficult than when we saw the shop owners doing it so it took four people here and <laughs> quite some time to reassemble the gramophone because it's also it's not an lp player so it doesn't run electronically but it's manually so yeah one has to turn a handle so in order to then it slowly runs out until it doesn't turn anymore and one has again to turn the handle and it has this old horn where the sound comes out and everything so it's a real real beauty and yeah then we when we finally had it assembled and we set the needle and we listened to it all of us <laughs> then we were uh, definitely all admiring the piece we bought But then uh, with the gramophone there came only one recording of an old Hindi song and we had the feeling that we kind of wanted to get more recordings so that this friend has a bit of maybe also something western, like western music to play, like Beatles or something. So we again went to Old Delhi and <laughs> before we went there I kind of looked up a couple of other places which I might haven't seen in this area and I came across an article that talked about a place called Bagira Palace apparently it sounded like a palace which is lit at night and like really nice and uh, I was like oh amazing let's go there and I told my friends about this palace and they were like okay yeah let's go and then when we got there they were like what's the name of this palace and I was like yeah Bagira Palace and then they really had to laugh because apparently there is no palace it's just a little market which is called which is called like this and it's a lights market so it's a market that sells all kinds of lamps and lights so from like this majestic old huge lights like dangling from everywhere to simple study lamps to lamps for outside to very oriental lamps like everything so the whole market is kind of lit up and it was very busy and there were lights everywhere so then nevertheless we roamed around there a little bit which was also a nice experience but I should have read more carefully, it's definitely not a palace. <laughs> but anyway, then we went to a place called Gramophone House, which is really hard to find if you don't already know that it exists and that it's there, because you have to go through another shop and then walk up some stairs. And then finally you find a small room, which is just stuffed with records, mostly LP records, but also some gramophone records. And it was... a uh, an amazing place especially if you're a collector and also it was interesting that there were so many Hindi recordings like LPs and gramophone records because I've seen LPs all my life because my father had a collection but it's never occurred to me that there must also be Hindi LPs with Hindi songs from the same time so that was interesting to see so we spent a lot of time like looking at different records but sadly we realized that uh they are A, quite expensive, and B, there was no Western record which we could find, like no Beatles, no nothing. So we started to think that maybe our gift was not so well thought through, and we returned empty-handed from 
that shop. Then uh, the day of the birthday come, came and of course uh, there had to be a huge party, the kind of parties which I like with a lot of Bollywood dancing and drinking and talking and we also got him a dart board so there was a lot of <laughs> shooting at the dart board as well happening and of course people admired the gramophone throughout the party but then uh, my favorite part of the evening was when around 2am in the morning like all of us were sitting in a really small hall in a kind of a corridor and uh, on chairs on the floor on the sofa like people were like sitting everywhere it was all crowded and someone was playing the guitar and we were like uh, singing these old Hindi songs and it was very special for me like these are these moments when I'm kind of zooming out or taking a step back and I'm thinking like it's so crazy that I'm here that I I don't know that I can be part of this, that I also sing these Hindi songs with the others because I also know them by now that, or to a certain extent, not all of them, but I don't know that I'm here and I feel in a weird way some kind of belonging which, uh, yeah, which is such a beautiful feeling. Mm -hmm. 